You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Should be a little tongue-in-cheek when we're saying thank God. Um, you should be going like, huh, what? Um, but what does it mean to be thankful these days? Do you understand what I mean? People say they're thankful, but what does it mean? What does it mean? Um, is it just, I'm content, I'm satisfied, I've got everything that I need? Um, I have a feeling, really, if it comes down to it, um, I'm smug. <laughs> you know, I'm feeling good. That's what thankfulness has turned into. And so uh, what we're looking at in this series is how the Bible talks about thankfulness is not just about feeling good or uh, realizing you've got everything that you need, but it's always a relationship with the one who has given. That is not just about the gifts that you get, but the giver. So it's thank God, and we're going to even get more specifically the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the promise, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It gets specific. And without... I'll be honest, without that connection to God in that specific way, thankfulness is just smugness. And we got a lot of that going on. So today we're going to start with that. Um, But I want to say a couple of things. First of all, a thank you to this congregation. We made an appeal to just let you know where we were at financially this fall. Things have been, summer's always kind of that low season. And... um, And uh, we just kind of shared where we were at, and you all responded greatly, and we are so thankful for that. In the newsletter this week, you'll see more specifics on that, but we do want to say thank you. We thank God for you. Now you have partnered with us for the sake of the gospel. And yes, we get to do a lot of Thanksgiving in the month of November, okay? And I'm not going with the no-shave November myself. Some of you can, but... Um, if I do no, myself, if I do no shave November, you know what it looks like? Santa Claus. Yeah, this turned totally white. Um, but anyways, um, today we begin this series, and I think this uh, text in the Gospel of Luke is going to do the best to kind of set the tone for what we're talking about when we're talking thank God. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now often I think in the Bible, and especially in the Gospels, when a story like this happens, we are invited actually into a house, more or less, to sit down in this story to explore it from the inside and just to kind of let it see how it all is set up, figure out what's going on, live inside of it, inhabit that story to really get the most out of it. 
So we might be sitting in the living room or over in the kitchen or wherever you need to go. But in this story, that's what we're going to try to do. And I think when we do that, there are three points that I came up with as I was working through this story this week. And they are simply this. When bad things happen, when good things happen, how to become all the way whole. So the last line of the story is kind of a key to the whole thing. We'll get to there. We're going to start with the first point, when bad things happen. I mean, I'd say, wouldn't you consider it bad if you were one of the 10 having leprosy? Right? They're living as well. Did you notice how the, it's between Samaria and Galilee, kind of in a no man's land? Not really how, I can't, they can't be anywhere with leprosy, by the way. Um, they're unwanted by any community. And yet, these 10 seem to form their own community. Is that interesting? The 10 are together, and they formed a community. And you can also find out that it doesn't really matter where you're from or who you are. All of a sudden, when you come to a situation when bad things happen, there are no borders. Just like the border between Galilee and Samaria, doesn't matter anymore. So Ben Wetherington III and Amy Levine write in their commentary on Luke, illness does not stop at political borders, neither need healing stop at the borders. So it's really not about the fact that these men are from or here or there, but they are in need. You know, all the divisions that we have today in our society and across the world are similar, I think, to the division between Jews and Samaritans. We're kind of in that alienated state. We got things clearly demarcated. We know who's in our group and who's uh, in that group. And that group is not our group. And we don't like them. And we don't want them here. And, um, but the reality is both those in my group, whatever that is, and that group over there, both face bad things. It's not like I can say, well, our group, all, only good things happen. <laughs> I wish, right? Um, I can't demarcate that. In fact, you know, cancer, heartache, loneliness, depression, poverty have no boundaries. And everyone needs healing or compassion in those circumstances. And it's so often in a common tragedy, all of a sudden the things that divide us all of a sudden go away. They aren't priorities anymore. You know, cancer or the loss of a child or unemployment, even an addiction. All of a sudden, people come together in a 12-step group from all different backgrounds. And all those other things don't matter anymore. There's a commonality in need. So we know already that um, these men are from at least two different backgrounds. There's a Samaritan, and there are Jews. And yet, they all seem to get along fine and be a community because that division between Samaritan and Jew, which was as strong as you can imagine, that dated back all the way to the time of the rebuilding of the temple under Nehemiah, woo, way back, that division all of a sudden just melted away, and the ten were together in community. The leprous person had that 
commonality, partly because <laughs> the law itself said, you cannot be with us. This is how um, the book of Leviticus describes when a person has leprosy, what has to happen. It says in Leviticus 13, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let his hair of his head hang loose. Now you might go like, well, that's a lot of people today. No, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Sorry, no. But in that day, it was to separate yourself. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. He, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, this was written during the time of the 40 years in the wilderness. <clears throat> and um, while Israel was wandering under Moses and the tabernacle was in the center, and so these people were told to stay outside of the camp. They were not eliminated from society, but they needed to stay outside of the camp until they were cleansed to be brought back in. And what's kind of fascinating is the Jews of Jesus' day, of this first century, took those, quote, rules for the wilderness and applied them to the situation today and ostracized these men completely. Isn't it interesting that these men have to form their own community because they're desperate for it because there's nothing else? And why is it in human nature that it's only in suffering sometimes that we come together. Do you understand what I mean? Now, what's also interesting in Luke's text, by the way, though, is Luke is very insistent not to label these men. He doesn't call them lepers. He calls them ten men with leprosy. He calls them not by their disease. He would not reduce them to their disease. And Jesus doesn't do that either. Jesus doesn't look at them and say, oh, all of he sees is a disease. He sees instead the common humanity, the common need, but also they, he sees them as sons of God in need of healing. That's how he sees them. So it's interesting in this text that Luke is very insistent on keeping that as a separate way of understanding these people. They are not just their disease. And you are not just whatever problem you have. <laughs> not to Jesus. Not in his eyes. It's not, you are not your position, you're not your profession, you're not, uh, all the distinctions that we make and all the labels we put on everyone in this world no one is reduced to that in the eyes of Jesus. Now, what's interesting, too, though, this is what I mean by kind of living in the text and letting it sit there. The ten men do not respond the way that they were supposed to, according to Leviticus. Did you know? They were supposed to cry out when they saw Jesus and the people around him, unclean, unclean, stay away. But do you know what they cry instead? Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Luke 17, 13. Do you know that word for pity on us here 
is the Greek word eleazon. Have you ever heard of Kyrie eleazon? You might be singing, yeah, which means Lord have mercy. You might be singing that song. What, who, who is the group? Kyrie eleazon. The road that you must travel. No? I am so old. <laughs> who is that? Who sang that? Mike and the Mechanics? No. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Sorry, I didn't write that down. But um, it's actually in the liturgy of many churches for a thousand years or more. It is a plea for mercy. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. A simple plea, but a profound need. That's all they cry out, which goes against what they were supposed to, but I think they had heard of Jesus. They heard of healings, and they were looking to him for what they actually needed, mercy. When you see someone, anyone, you know, maybe they're acting out, maybe they're showing a lot of bravado, maybe they've got some issues, whatever those issues are, right? And um, so often we want to say, you know what they really need? They need a lecture, or they need advice, or they need to be told what's right and wrong. And the reality is, they probably need mercy. There is you've got more than enough advice given to you. You've probably got more than enough uh, people telling you off or telling you whatever. Everyone can use more mercy. Everyone. When you find yourself in a pinch, when you find yourself lost or alone, when you find yourself facing a failing in your life, or when you find yourself in a situation that you have no one else to turn to because these men were pretty well desperate, they had no one to go to, don't you need mercy? Isn't that what we need to be sharing with others more? So these 10 men cry out to Jesus, and Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. And as they are traveling to the priests, they are healed. So tell me now, this is our second point, what happens when good things happen? Right? This is the best thing that could have happened to them. And we see the 10 have responded, they get healed, but only one of them returns to Jesus to thank him directly. It's amazing when bad things happen, how often we cry out, why in the world is this happening to me? But when good things happen, I don't remember me ever crying out, why is any, this happening to me? Have you ever noticed that? You don't go like, oh, wow, that's great. Why is this happening? I don't cry out then because I assume good things are to be happening to me. I'm a good person. I should have this good going on. And it's amazing how when good things happen, it does the opposite of being something actually that good and connects me to God. We might praise God generically when good things happen. We might even thank him while we're on the way being well. But like the nine, we hardly ever get that specific, and we don't go out of our way to thank. After the nine were healed, it's ironic, they didn't need Jesus anymore. They didn't come back to him. Isn't that fascinating? In fact, one scholar said the result and irony of the miracle was to drive these lepers away from God. Ouch. When they needed God, they got close. 
They got as close as they could. But when all of a sudden they got what they wanted, they were busy being well. That's an irony that I think we need to look at a little more. And I probably don't even need to say that much about it, but I'm going to. Um, (laughs) So recently, we've had um, two visitors. They're not here today, uh, Maluma and Martha. Uh, from Tanzania. They've come a couple weeks, and um, they are off right now um, at a wedding up north, um, but they'll be back. And I sat down and had coffee with them this week. It was great to talk to them and see their background and learn a little more about their family. And, And I was trying to explain to them a little of our culture right now where we're at. They've visited the United States many times, but now they're settling in. And they were a little surprised because I said, yeah, there are a lot of people in, in, in the United States. He goes, well, isn't this, you know, this nation is filled with Christians. I said, yeah, but they don't necessarily go to church or anything. They believe generically, but they don't get connected. And they're like, what? How is that possible? That makes no sense to them. In Tanzania, if you're a Christian, you are in worship, Period. You're connected to the people of God. You are trying to thank God specifically. You are growing in your faith. And that, it's like, how can you? It doesn't even equate. They were like, what is going on, right, in this culture? And I didn't have an answer for them. (laughs) It's to say, it is. It's going on. And um, it's... No wonder, you know, in Africa, Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds. In the United States, not so much. For the Samaritan, what's interesting, it's amazing. Is it really surprising that it's the Samaritan who comes back? (coughs) Someone who through his entire life has faced uh, being marginalized, being scandalized, who is always on the outside looking in who wasn't accepted, you know. He knew he wasn't accepted at the temple in Jerusalem. They had their own temple in Gerizim, on Mount Gerizim in Samaria because of that as well. In fact, in 1871, archaeologists found at the temple this little inscription explaining to any, quote, foreigner like a Samaritan this. No foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade and plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his own death, which will follow. Ouch, yeah, no. That's a pretty strong sense that you don't belong there, right? You're going to die if you try. So this Samaritan knew he was not wanted. And being an outsider may have been in an odd way an advantage. Maybe having the experience of being discounted and discouraged and disrespected time and again, where he was a minority in his society, gave him the perspective that when a gift came, he was profoundly thankful. Maybe knowing that he couldn't go to the temple and to that priest there, but only to the priests they had in Samaria, got him thinking that this Jesus, who was a Jewish rabbi, would heal him. In whatever case, he was drawn back, not just generically to God, but specifically to the one and only Son of God, where he fell down and worshipped. 
So although good things can so often, in fact, keep people farther away from God, keep them busy being well and doing good things, it doesn't have to when you understand like this Samaritan. And that'll make all the difference. And that's why we come to how you and I, we can become all the way whole, which I think is our third point, which is probably better way of describing this last phrase in this text. So Luke 17, 19 says it this way. Then Jesus said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. But the better translation might be to say, rise and go, your faith has brought you salvation. Salvation. Or your faith has made you all the way whole. Because the Greek word is actually the Greek word sozo, which means it can mean to heal, but it also means to save, to rescue. And that seems to be the point of this all. And you might go like, wait a minute, but, but Jesus told the Samaritan to go to the priest, and he turned around and went back to Jesus. Isn't that going against what Jesus actually said so Joel Green, one of the scholars, as he was sitting in this text and kind of living inside of it, goes, huh, I'm wondering what that Samaritan thought when he was leaving. And Jesus said, go to the priest. And he's going like, which priest am I supposed to go to? Does he want me to go to the Jewish temple where I can't actually get in? To the priests at Mount Gerizim? Is that going to help me there? And I think he says, Joel Green says, that's when the penny dropped for him. Ah, go to the priest? I know which priest I want to go to. I'm going to go to the ultimate priest. I'm going to go to the ultimate temple. Other priests, they can declare if you're clean. Jesus can cleanse. Other priests may let you know if you're healed. Jesus can heal. Other places, you can maybe talk with God in an indirect way. But with Jesus, I get to see God face to face. It seems that this man understood exactly what to do. And the whole point of the text is how this man responded, the Samaritan. As Joseph Fitzmaier says, only here in the New Testament is thanks expressed to Jesus directly. It is addressed elsewhere to God himself, but here the whole text is about the fact that Jesus is the one who can make you all the way whole. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one. The Samaritan doesn't simply thank God. In fact, this text would be basically telling you, you could say thank God, you might as well just say thank God. What's the difference? Because honestly, when you think God, God is just a title, by the way, and you tell me what most people, when they say the word God, what do they even mean? There's a lot of God talk, a lot of generic God talk in our society, and I get it, but the one who saves is Jesus. The one you need is Jesus. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. It is through him. So why Ben Wetherington says, the reference to salvation pushes the story beyond healing into soteriology. The Samaritan has found what is for Luke the correct posture for worship, not in Jer the Jerusalem temple, but prostrate at Jesus' feet. 
So 10 were healed, one was saved. 10 got a healing, one got the healer. How about you? Is Jesus just a means to some other end? Or is he the end goal of your life? Your destiny, your salvation. It's only in him you can be all the way whole. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day, for this message. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you showed who you are. And you showed how we can respond to you like the Samaritan. We pray that we do. That we are connected so to you, Lord. That we don't just seek a healing, but the healer. That we don't seek just um, a good life, but the giver of the good life, Lord Jesus. We don't want just gifts. We want you as the giver in our life. Because only then do we have what you really offer, Lord. Only then. Lord, you know so many people in our world right now are, are, are desperate, like uh, lep, the, the pe- men with leprosy. They see a need, but they don't know where to, they don't, aren't coming to you. They're desperately crying out, but they don't want to really acknowledge you as their Savior. And Lord, we pray somehow you break through you didn't take back the healing from the nine. It, it's not, that's not the way you work, Lord Jesus, at all. You give freely, unconditionally. That's what your grace is, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you still give your grace even when we have just taken it and run. But we pray your grace, your goodness, when good things happen, it just draws us even closer to you. Lord God, as uh, we are in this month of thanksgiving, we pray that it would be a month of giving thanks to you directly and specifically and not just some generic fashion. We pray that you give us the ability to witness to our friends and family and coworkers and neighbors, Lord, about who you are and how they, like the Samaritan, can come to you that you want a relationship, not just, um, <laughs> not just a bunch of stuff for their lives, Lord, and how they can have a relationship with you and find their hope and their joy in you. Lord God, there are people in our church that we do lift up to you this day that need your healing touch. You know all of them by name. We will mention just a few in particular Lord, for Bob, who up in North Carolina is facing so many issues, we know he trusts you, he loves you. You have called him by name. He is yours. We pray for him and for Joan that he is brought back home from the hospital and that he can have just a, uh, a deeper abiding faith and trust in you through his ailments and illnesses, Lord God. We um, ask for your healing touch in our lives and that we would acknowledge and give you thanks each time you do. Of course, we can't outgive, Lord, or outthank you for all that you've done. There is just no way for us to enumerate them all. But we ask that through this series, we would have a better, clearer understanding of what it means to be in relationship with you, Lord Jesus, and that we would... Um, glory in that relationship that you have called us 
that you have wanted us, that you don't just want to heal, but to be our healer, that you don't want to just give, but to be the giver, our savior, the one who saves us. Thank you, Lord. We ask that you would prepare our hearts and lives to respond in thanksgiving to you with our tithes and offerings in a moment. And even more, Lord, to respond to you by receiving you as the gift in the Lord's Supper. <laughs> we are unworthy, really, on our own, Lord. There is nothing that says that we should or deserve or are entitled to anything from you except for the fact that you call us, you invite us, you have declared us worthy to receive you, and therefore we come at your invitation. As we know the scripture so well that if we say we would have no sin, there is no truth in us. But as we confess our sins, you forgive us our sins. You are faithful and just to do so and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And therefore we come, Lord, to receive you as the gift, as the gift, and have true, holy communion with you this day. So thank you, Lord, for being with us this day. Um, we ask that this month we would be drawn into deeper thanksgiving toward you and in love toward others. All this in Jesus' name, amen.